everyone. I'm Emily Mikus, and welcome back to Everybody's Story. The first season of the podcast is wrapping up, and after today's episode, there's only two left. So I have Aubrey with me on the podcast today, and she is extremely open about her story and how it got her to where she is today. I do want to give a trigger warning before we start. A big part of Aubrey's story is her struggle with anorexia. She talks about the ins and outs of having an eating disorder. So if this topic or talk of dieting or restricting your eating will be triggering for you, please don't listen. Otherwise, keep listening to hear Aubrey talk all about food, body image, being an athlete, social media, and much, much more. And just while we're on the subject of eating disorders, I want to mention uh, the show called The Bachelorette. So if you're not in the U.S., you don't have this show, but you probably know what it is, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. So I sort of call it my guilty pleasure, although I don't really feel guilty. It's just, it's a show that I watch and it's a bit of escapism. So on this season, one of the the bachelors, I suppose, who's vying for um, Tasha's attention, she's like the new bachelorette. There's a bit of drama. If you're following it, you'll know. But there's a guy called Ben, and he recently, uh, last week, I think, opened up about having an eating disorder. Um, he mentioned that he had bulimia for over 10 years. He mentioned, yeah, he opened up a, a lot about his past, and I just, I thought it was just really great that he did that. Um, you know, trying to destigmatize eating disorders and especially um, male eating disorders, which happen a lot more than we're sort of aware of. I was kind of looking into the stats and it's pretty shocking how, how many men actually deal with this, but it's so underreported because um, there's such a stigma around it. So I just wanted to kind of mention that little pop culture reference. I thought it was really great that Ben had opened up about that on national television and just kind of bringing a bit of awareness and hopefully destigmatizing eating disorders for um, everyone and that you don't know by what someone looks like, you know, what they're going through. And Aubrey and I get into this topic about, you know, not knowing just by how someone looks, um, whether or not they have some sort of disordered eating. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was kind of relevant. And now quickly as well, before we get going, uh, don't forget about the Buy Me A Coffee page. So the site lets you donate to me to help with the costs involved in producing the podcast. So um, if you've been enjoying it, please just take a second and go to the website and donate just the price of a coffee. Um, any little bit really, really does make a difference to me and I appreciate it. So it's buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story and I'll put the link in the description. Um, and yeah, again, if you're not able to donate, I totally understand. Um, but please do, if you're enjoying it, share the podcast and, you know, text a friend about it, um, rate and review it on Apple podcasts or share it on your Instagram story, whatever you can do to kind of bring a bit of exposure and just to get people listening. So, um, okay. So let's get into the episode with Aubrey. So I have Aubrey Wall here with me today. Aubrey is a body confidence coach, triathlete, and mountain adventurer residing in Bozeman, Montana. Aubrey has her own business called Training for Body Acceptance, where she is the lead body confidence coach and provides group and one-on-one -on -one coaching packages to individuals wanting to unlearn diet culture, discover food freedom, and build an empowered self-image. So that all sounds really great. I can't wait to hear more about it. And welcome, Aubrey, to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's nice to virtually meet you because we've never met in person. So um, so I'll just start by asking kind of what was your body image like as a kid, as a teen, kind of growing up, anything that stood out or maybe when you first kind of thought about your body even? Yeah, 
I love this question. And I think it's really, it's always really interesting to hear how much different it is for everybody. And I feel really lucky that I had, I had a really normal, healthy body image through most of my childhood and um, my early teen years. I, you know, I lived in a family that dieted a lot. Like my parents were constantly dieting. So I think that I had that knowledge and maybe I had that kind of deep down when kind of like my eating disorder came around, but I never, it never impacted me when I was a child and no one ever made negative comments about my body, which I think makes sense because I naturally live in a smaller body. So I have that kind of privilege in that sense. But um, yeah, growing up, I had a fairly healthy body image until my senior year of high school, I moved away from home. I was a competitive synchronized swimmer for most of my childhood. And I, when I moved away from home, I, my body changed a little bit as it does. You know, most people have that happen their freshman year of college. I had it happen my senior year of high school because I was away from home a year earlier than most people. And as a competitive athlete and in a sport where your body is exposed a lot of the time because you're in a bathing suit all the time, right? It's very apparent when your body changes and it's a lot easier for people to see that. And I had people make comments about my body during that time about, you know, my body changes and them making it clear that it wasn't okay or it was something that needed to be fixed because it was wrong or something like that, you know, and it coaches, parents, tons of people make comments about it. So that's really the the point at which my body image started to shift. Right. Okay. And you said you've been swimming your entire life. Were you doing any other sports or was like swimming your main focus? Swimming was my main focus. So I grew up, I lived in California until 2006, until I was about 13. And I swam on a recreational synchronized swimming team there. And that was kind of my thing. And then when I moved to Bozeman, there was a more competitive synchronized swimming team. So it was a year round club team that I joined. And so I really kind of took that on and that was like my thing. And I had Olympic aspirations at one point, like I really went headfirst into the sport. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you talked about comments and things. Could you talk a bit more about like kind of how, like, was it quite a gradual shift then turning into kind of the disordered eating and then into the eating disorder? Or did it feel like kind of in that first year, it was pretty intense or? Yeah. So I think that the, the transition was more gradual because when those comments were made to me, it was really hard. Cause I'm very much, you know, like I like to, I'm a people pleaser. I want acceptance. So it can, it was really hard to have people that I cared about making comments like that. And so when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to eat a little bit better or how I perceived healthy. And I'm going to move my body a little bit more outside of my training regimen for swimming. And it's going to be fine. And it was totally healthy for a good period of time. And then when I went away to college, I I'm still trying to figure out what shifted, but kind of what I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion that a lot of the reason my disordered eating turned into a full-fledged eating disorder is that I had a lot of insecurity around where I was at 
as far as how good I was in comparison to a lot of my teammates. I was definitely in the lower half of the team, which is fine. I mean, it is what it is, right? But I think that I had a lot of insecurities come up around that. I felt a little bit out of control because I was in a very new environment, a different culture. I was living in the Midwest at that point, and I had always lived in the West. So it just is a different culture. And I think that there were a lot of factors that went into that to make, to kind of transform my disordered eating into an eating disorder. Yeah. Do you feel that you have like perfectionist tendencies as well or no? Oh yeah. One thousand (laughs) percent. Yeah, for sure. I think anyone who's like, you know, high achieving, especially in sport, I mean, you have to have a certain level of like perfection or, you know, dedication and like really commitment and all this stuff, but that's when it can kind of turn into, yeah. Okay. So you went to college. Um, and then when were you kind of diagnosed and what was the eating disorder? Just only as much as you want to share, obviously. Sure. Yeah. So I kind of developed, so it was, I developed anorexia during my time away and I, it got really bad during the second half of my year away, um, uh, in college. And at the end of that year, I knew I kind of had a problem. And so I decided to leave school and I transferred back to Montana state university here in Bozeman where my family was living at the time and where I had been for several years and decided that I was going to move back home. I was going to get into an environment that felt safer for me and just try and prioritize getting better or, you know, making the shift. But, you know, it's like, we think we're ready, but usually we're not. And so I moved back home and I really struggled with, with anorexia for several years after that. And it was ebbed and flowed and it's been yeah, it was a totally crazy experience just watching myself go through these ebbs and flows of an eating disorder because they're, I think most people know, most people who've had an eating disorder know that like, you know, there are some times when you're doing way better and you're like, oh, I'm going to come out of this. And then something happens or you get stressed out and you just like go right back to where you were before. And so I did that for several years and I was going to therapy and kind of like half-assing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it kind of got to a point where my therapist told me, I need, we need to find a way for you to take your recovery more seriously, because if you don't, we're going to have to hospitalize you and send you to an inpatient treatment center. And I was really not, not wanting to do that. I was not prepared to make that kind of decision or move away from home again. You know, it was a very scary thing for me. So luckily there was an intensive outpatient program here in Bozeman through the eating disorder center of Montana. And that program definitely saved my life. It was a huge shift for me, but it was a lot of work. And for those of you who don't know what intensive outpatient treatment is, it's basically you do about 10 to 15 hours of therapy a week in a variety of formats. So you go to individual counseling, you do group therapy sessions, you do nutrition therapy, you eat meals with the group of girls that you're with or group of men and women. And so it was definitely a long time before I figured out like (laughs) how I was going to actually make this difference and 
make the shift into recovery. And I think that I really had to be in it for a while. Yeah. For I to realize that I needed to make that difference. Right. So before that, was it like you were maybe eating more, but the thoughts were still there? It sounded like the ebbing and flowing, like maybe you weren't actually fully healed. Yeah, I think I needed more support around it. And I needed, I also just needed someone to like, (laughs) kick me in the ass and get me to really, you know, realize because I think that I think that probably a lot of people who have struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating can relate to the fact that um, sometimes it can be really, really difficult to think you're actually sick enough to get better. Right. Like I think that a lot of people struggle with, you know, I don't look sick enough or I'm not as bad as that person, or this really isn't that bad. Like I'm fine. And so I think having someone actually tell me like, you are sick and you need to get better or else it is going to be very bad. And I just don't think I ever realized that it was that bad. And so, yeah, like I said, don't you think I ever came to terms with that or really believed in my heart that I was actually sick enough to deserve to recover or have the support around recovery that I really actually needed. So, yeah, I mean, definitely like ebbed and flowed, but I think that even if you're eating more at some points and eating less at other points, it's yeah, you're the mental side of it is so your headspace is so out of whack. And, you know, as you eat less and you deprive your brain of, you know, the, the essential nutrients that it needs, your brain chemistry changes and you start to believe that you don't need more food and it's okay to not eat. And so I think one of the ways that you have to recover, especially from anorexia is you have to restore your weight and you have to restore your brain chemistry. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. I guess I don't know enough about the science of it, but you know, um, I believe that. Yeah. So so then after you finished the, the recovery program, um, could you talk about your experience after? Cause that's probably a big, you were there for, I think you said close to a year, right? Yeah. Um, so then after you finished it, what was your experience like kind of going back into the world after that? Yeah. So going back out into the world after going through an eating disorder program was, it was weird. You come out of a treatment program and you're like, I'm recovered now, so I should be fine. But just because your body is recovered and your weight is restored doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually recovered from your eating disorder. And so I continued with therapy for a little while, but I would say that it was really difficult for me coming out the other side of my treatment program because I definitely still engaged in disordered behaviors, but was at a restored weight. So no one ever thought anything of it, which I think is really problematic. Yeah. I mean... And what's the way to fix that? I suppose just getting rid of the stigma of like eating disorders can look any way, right? Is that kind of our solution? Yeah. And I think that elevating the conversation around the fact that disordered eating exists. So it doesn't always have to be an eating disorder for it to be unhealthy, right? I think that there's not a lot of conversation around dieting and disordered eating and how detrimental that can be to people's health, mental and physical. Yeah. 
Now I'm wondering, did you get to like, have you been able to talk about these things now that you're kind of in a different place in your recovery in your life? Have you been able to talk to like your family about these, any of these things? Cause I know that's a really big conversation, but you said that there was kind of a lot of dieting. Have you been able to be like, let's talk about diet culture or is that not really happening? Here and there, I've talked about it a little bit, um, but, you know, it's, I think it's really hard with your family, especially. Uh, I definitely talked to my mom about it, about eating and dieting and stuff like that. And I, I think I've helped her with the mental side of things because I think that, you know, like I said, our society teaches us that that's normal and that's the way it has to be for us to be healthy is for us to just like diet until we die, which is like not not true. And I think that, you know, talking to my mom, especially about it has been really good because I think that my mom historically has struggled with that and with her weight. And, you know, especially like after going through menopause, I think that's really hard on a lot of women because your body changes and you have no control over that. And that's really difficult for a lot of women. And we don't really talk about it either. So, you know, a lot of women don't even know that they have to expect that. So I think that being able to have that conversation around like your body is okay as it is. Like, yeah. even if you put on weight or whatever happens, like it's just your body doing its thing. And like, you just, the more you accept that, the more you can treat it the way it wants to be treated and honor it. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear more about, so your mom, but then also now you have like this work that you do and you have clients and I'd love to hear more about, um, kind of your mission as a body confidence coach and um, what inspired you to do it and then kind of about your goals um, as a coach? Yeah. So what inspired me to start this business and start doing what I'm doing is exactly what I was talking about earlier, that after I came out of my eating disorder treatment program, I didn't have, I didn't feel like there was a lot of information or support out in the world, uh, you know, that talked about, okay, maybe you don't have an eating disorder, but you're engaging in all these disordered behaviors of dieting, constantly thinking about the food that you eat, constantly manipulating the food that you eat, exercising in a way that's not healthy for you, you know, things like that. And so I obviously went through that experience for a couple of years after my eating disorder treatment. And then as I started to kind of learn more about diet culture and intuitive eating and all of these other things. I was like, why is no one doing this? Like, why is it, why is no one talking about this more openly? Why is no one, you know, providing services around this, which don't get me wrong. There are a lot of resources out there that are doing it, but the proportion of those resources to people out there that are, um, you know, quote unquote, health coaches or wellness coaches that are promoting dieting and certain exercise regimens and saying you only have to eat X amount of calories a day. That's like way not enough for a person to be eating. And I think that just the proportion of that, it's hard to see where those conversations exist and where those coaching services exist. And I didn't see a lot around me. I follow some on Instagram, but they're small. The proportion is really pretty small. And I, you know, I thought, well, if anyone can kind of talk about this and teach about this, it's me because I've been there. I've had the eating disorder. I've done disordered eating. I've dieted. I've done compulsive exercise. I've done the whole gamut. And I have, through my own experience, figured out how to come out on the other side. And so 
my mission with my business is to provide those same tools to people who are in that space and are sick of dieting and don't want to be punishing their bodies all of the time and just want to really, really find a way to accept themselves. And, you know, ultimately, I just want to show people that there is another way that you don't have to diet for the rest of your life. And just, I think that that's a really important conversation to be had and really important service to provide to the community. For sure. I think it's hard because like you're saying there was a small proportion and that's because like the system, the world we live in is telling us, like you said, that it's about dieting. So it's like, how do you break, break people out of that? Like, do you get a lot of people that are already, they're already like, we don't, I don't like diet culture. Or do you get people that kind of found you and are just kind of intrigued and you teach them more then? I think a little bit of both. So some people, a lot of the people that I've had come to me are like, yeah, you know, I just started learning about diet culture and now I want support around it. I want more knowledge. I want to, right. I don't have any idea where to start basically is what they say. Right. And also a lot of people that are, have dieted their whole life and they're like, I want to believe there's another way, but I have no idea what it looks like. Yeah. You know, and they're just like sad that they are still dieting and no matter what they do, they never end up loving themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's like not a good, like that's so discouraging and it feels so, it just feels fruitless, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'm looking back on pictures and always being like, you know, I was, ha- I think, you know, you think like, was I happy when I was that weight? Cause like, you, you know, that's what you think. You're like, if I was just skinnier, I'd be happier. That's kind of the, what they yeah. tell us. Right. But then you're like, was I really happy then? And like, you cut, start to realize that like, you probably just won't be happy until like, you're like happy on the inside, you know? Like, so, um, yeah. So, um, what does, I was kind of just wondering, like, what does a session look like with the client? Are you doing actually physical activity or is it more like talking, talk therapy sort of based or. Yeah, definitely more like talk therapy, more, um, mindset coaching is kind of how I like to describe it. Um, usually I kind of start with a client talking about like, okay, you know, I just want to know about your relationship with your body growing up. Like, what did that look like? And I pull little pieces out of that, at least for the first session, this is kind of how I approach it. I pull out of that little things that I hear them say about themselves or their relationship with their family or friends or their sport or whatever it was and kind of dig in a little bit deeper on a lot of those things, because I think that, you know, it's, I really believe that a lot of the work that I do too, is just providing a safe space for people to talk about this stuff, because a lot of people don't have that. And I think a lot of people want that really bad. And it's so, it's just such a stigmatized topic. So I think that providing that safe space and, you know, obviously coaching them because that's what I do. And that's, I have a lot of experience in coaching myself through all of this. So, and I've also been a coach in a lot of different ways. I've been a sports coach and um, mentored young women a lot. And so I think that, you know, providing that safe space in combination with providing the tools and strategies that they need to start making small shifts in how they think about themselves and food and their body. Right. And that's what I was going to ask is like, how do you, 
um, like measure progress because we think of like Weight Watchers or any of these diet things. It's like you measure it by how many pounds you lost, but obviously you're not doing that. So is there a way, is it just kind of checking in with their, where their head is at and that's the progress sort of? Yeah, I think that measuring progress in this space is really difficult because I don't use weight as a measurement ever because it's just irrelevant. And I encourage most of my clients not to even own a scale. So (laughs) you can't measure by weight progress. But, you know, I think that it's hard to objectively measure progress. But that being said, I try and measure the progress by how are you, you know, where are your anxiety levels at when you go out to eat with your friends? Or what does it feel like if you don't work out for a day? Like, how do you, where is your head at when these things that used to be super triggering are no longer like, you know, like, how are we moving in the right direction with those, those things that, you know, a lot of people want to have progress around, but obviously don't have the tools or strategies or support to make those changes. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I want to ask, well, first I want to ask, um, what's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is hearing like client wins. Like when they're like, oh my gosh, the other day I went out to eat and I was thinking I should get a salad because, you know, it's the healthy thing to get, but I really wanted a burger. And so I just got the burger. It's like the little things like that, that are, it's like without, you know, the the things that we were working on, the likelihood of that happening for them was really low. So I think that like those little things, those little wins that clients tell me, like, you know, after our session last week, I went and did this and it was so awesome. And I didn't have any guilt afterwards or whatever it may be. That's what I love the most. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds super rewarding. Um, and then I was going to ask about, because I've had conversations with other kind of dance teachers or fitness coaches. I know you're not exactly a fitness coach, but of this pressure to like practice what you preach. Cause I imagine you have like rough days as well as, as we all do. And whether that's rough days with food or with your body, but do you feel pressure to like always be super confident because you're a body confidence coach or is that not really an issue for you? You know, I don't feel that pressure. Um, I, and the reason that is, is because I think that there is so much power in showing that I'm also a real person and I'm also a human and I don't always have a perfect day and I don't always feel amazing about my body because that is part of the journey is accepting that you're not always going to feel that way, right? Like I use the term body acceptance a lot because, you know, body confidence is the goal, but you can't get to body confidence without first accepting yourself. And I think that a critical part of accepting yourself is accepting yourself when you're having a shitty day and showing that, showing that, you know, I also have those days that that is a very real thing for me is really, really important. And so I don't, I don't feel the pressure to, to, to be perfect all the time, because I think that there's so much pressure on people to be perfect all the time anyways, that if I was perfect all the time, it would just increase the likelihood that they feel like to be able to have food freedom or accept their body. Like you have to do it perfectly all the time. Right. 
Yeah. Well, that's great that you, don't, that you don't feel that. And I think you are practicing what you preach then by like being, you know, open and like realizing that we're all just human. So um, in that way, you're doing a great job. Um, so I was going to ask, actually, this kind of goes into um, social media. I was going to ask kind of uh, how you use social media like now, but then also like during your time when you had an eating disorder, were you also using it then and has it changed or what was your relationship with social media like? Yeah, I love this question. It's such a good question. I was on social media when I had my eating disorder, but not really in a way that was like, you know, obviously Instagram and Facebook have changed dramatically since I had my eating disorder. You know, I had my eating disorder seven years ago, seven ish. Um, And so Instagram is a different world now. And back when I had my eating disorder, there wasn't like influencers or any of that stuff. So I didn't, it wasn't like it was um, further promoting my eating disorder. Uh, The only thing about having an Instagram when I had my eating disorder is there's still pictures on me are on my social media profiles of me when I had my eating disorder. And it's really weird uh, to see those sometimes I've dabbled in the idea of getting rid of them, but I don't know. I think it's also important to remember where you've been and kind of know, know how far you've come, but moving to today using social media, I think social media is the wild west, man. It's such a weird, (laughs) weird thing. Yeah. And I think it promotes so much comparison and so much, you know, like we were just talking about this idea of perfection and it's so easy to make your life look perfect on, on the internet. And that's one of the reasons why I don't do that. It's really important for me to not do that, to show that, you know, everyone behind that Instagram screen is a real human being, but that's actually one of the things that I work on with my clients is, you know, who are you following on social media? How do they, how does their profile make you feel does it make you feel bad every time you see a post of theirs? What would it look like for you to unfollow them? Like, why haven't you? That kind of stuff is really important to dig in because our external stimulus reinforces our behaviors and whatever we believe about ourselves. So I think it's really important to audit your social media and be really critical about what kind of information you're taking in on a daily basis, because most people are on social media every day. And it's really, really critical to be able to be like, okay, why, why am I following that account? How does that make me feel? And there's a lot of accounts out there that are doing anti-diet work on Instagram that I follow. And it's, it really does shift your mindset because you see not only do you see people that are doing the things that you want to do, but maybe haven't gotten there yet, but it also is increasingly more diverse in terms of skin color, body type, um, all of those things that are really, really important that we don't see like in magazines and in the majority of social, the social media sphere, you know? And so I think that seeing more body diversity and skin diversity and gender and sexual orientation diversity, the more that we can see that, the more it normalizes it. And so I think that 
social media can be a really negative place, but it can also be a really effective tool to supporting people's journey. Yeah, for sure. That was so well-spoken. Yeah. Um, so I want to actually talk about um, something we talked about like before the interview about um, as an athlete, growing up as an athlete, and I imagine that was a big part of your identity. Um, and then kind of when you moved away from competing in athletics and kind of what that was like for you. And I know it's something you're still kind of going through, but um, would you like to share a bit about what that's been like? Yeah, for sure. This is, a, this is a really interesting subject and it's really hard um, because like you said, I am currently kind of going through it still, uh, which has been a weird experience, but yeah. So I definitely hung on to my identity as an athlete for a long time. Even after I left uh, synchro, I was, I started kind of running and doing some of that stuff and I would race and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed, you know, doing still competing. So com being in a competitive sphere. So I ran for a little while and then I obviously started racing triathlon competitively and that really became my new thing. And I really clung on to that. And I was for a while pursuing racing professionally and really dedicating myself to that. And I'm kind of in a space right now. Well, with 2020, everything got canceled. So it was a forced, forced reevaluation of where I'm at and what I'm doing. And so I really stepped back from triathlon and I'm still training and I'm still like being active, but I'm doing different things. I'm mountain biking more. I'm trail running a little bit more, which has been really cool, but I've just really, it's really given me the opportunity to reconnect with why I move and why I move my body. And I think that when you're a competitive athlete for your entire life, you're not really given that space very often. And so this year was definitely a blessing in disguise because I think that I was kind of on a hamster wheel of like, um, doing, <laughs> doing all my training, but not really ever stopping to think like, am I still enjoying this? Is this still fun for me? Is this still making me feel good about myself? And I think that after last year, so last season, I had a pretty good season. I mean, I, I raced well for the most part, but I was really, really hard on myself. And I was really, really mean to myself about the way that I performed and how I did. And, and so coming out of that year into 2020 and having a forced break from everything, I think was a really, it was a really good time. It was really good timing for that to happen because I was like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm doing here because I was just pushing so hard on this goal. And as a consequence of, you know, me not accomplishing that goal, I was just being so hard on myself. And I think that it was, it was leading me to have a lot of insecurities. And it, I was really just not super happy, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, like you talked about when you were back, like competing and stuff, how you had those insecurities already, you were saying you were like, you know, maybe not you know, comparing yourself already to people on the team or you felt like you were on the lower end of the team. So it's like those like childhood insecurities are so like deep rooted sometimes, you know, totally. and, like we think we're fine because we're like an adult and we're supposed to be fine. But those things like they'll eat away at you, I think, and they'll just come up again. So um, that sounds really hard. Um, 
but yeah, I've talked to a lot of people who wear like for especially dancers and athletes and things like that. And that COVID has been like, I mean, obviously it's terrible in so many ways, but it's been, like you said, a blessing in disguise, like forcing you to slow down. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's been a good opportunity for me to slow down and just like take a look at what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And, you know, I'm not, it has not been rainbows and butterflies by any stretch of the imagination. It's actually been really, really hard because I have been a competitive athlete for my entire life. And I, coming out of that, it's like, who am I if I'm not a competitive athlete, you know, because that's what I've been my whole life. And, you know, 20, (laughs) 21 of my 27 years, I've been a competitive athlete. And so stepping away from that and really evaluating who am I without that and what other identities do I have? I think it's really weird and scary and exciting. And it's just, it's a lot of, a lot of emotions and it's just, yeah, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process for sure. Yeah. I relate to that. Like really. So we're the same age. I'm 27 and yeah, I did competitive Irish dance for about 20 years. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also like when you go back to, for me, like going back to my hometown or like seeing people that only knew me at that age, I'm still like the Irish dancer. That's still like my identity to them. Um, which is fine, but it's like, there's more to me and like trying to figure that out on my own and trying to just figure out how I like show up as a, in the world, you know? And like, even people ask, like, they ask about you, what do you do? Or like, who are you? And I still feel like I'm, you know, I'm a dancer and it's, it's just hard. It's really, it's really complicated and it might just take time, you know? And it is. Yeah. Like your, yeah. Friends, like friends and family and people like, yeah, you become, that identity to them too and so because you ascribe to it for so long so then when you start reassessing or stepping away from that it's like then like how do they know you anymore either you know it's just it's weird and it's complicated <laughs> yeah and you've always been a whole person and you'll always be a whole person with all these different facets and sides of you um you know and those will always be there but it's just that people sometimes only see the one side of you and um, those other things can get lost, but like they're in you. So I don't know, I'm mostly telling this for myself and just giving myself advice. Um, so if there, this is going to be a really cheesy question, but if there's something you could go and like tell yourself when you were younger, can, is there like advice you would give like 15 year old Aubrey, or I guess more like 18, 19 year old Aubrey? Oh man. Uh, it's all going to be okay. I think that that's maybe what I would say. Because I think that it's, you know, obviously having an eating disorder and everything I went through was an incredibly hard experience, but it really has informed a lot of who I am and what I do and how I show up for myself and people around me. And so I don't know that I would take back anything that I went through, but knowing that it was all going to be okay in the end, I think would be really, really important to hear. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really good. That's really nice to hear that you're like, it was really difficult, but it also kind of, yeah, it shaped you. It probably shaped, like you said, your career and, you know, like you said, the way you maybe show compassion to yourself and others and stuff. And that's really nice. Um, so then I guess just in general, kind of where are you now, like with your, with your body, with food. And um, I know you talked a bit about like struggling with the 
athletic kind of identity, but where are you kind of just in general with your body now? Yeah, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about my body. Um, I feel pretty good about my relationship with food. For the most part, I don't really think about food all that much anymore, which is a blessing because I spent a lot of years doing that. Um, And I, yeah, I mean, I obviously have days that I'm like hard on myself or don't like my body or whatever it may be. And it can be really difficult because um, I'm not moving my body as much as I'm normally used to. So I feel less fit than I'm used to, which can be kind of hard because I'm just so used to performing at such a high level so much of the time. And so now that I'm not really doing that, it can be kind of hard. But that being said, I've had a really good time doing new sports and, you know, mountain biking and doing more strength training and just kind of exploring what types of movement really make me feel good and make me happy and give me the opportunity to, you know, do stuff with new people. And yeah, so it, it ebbs and flows just like anything in life. It's never perfect, but it it's leaps and bounds better than I probably could have ever imagined, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, that's really great. Um, yeah. And that's like the best of movement and exercise, isn't it? Like, meeting people, enjoying moving, like doing what you, you know, moving just, just for moving sake, just cause it feels good. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So is there anything else, um, kind of before we wrap up that, um, we didn't cover that you're like, you really wanted to add that maybe I forgot to talk about? No, I don't think so. I mean, we covered so much. This is such an awesome conversation. I guess the one thing that I would say to people is that, you know, it takes time it takes time to get to where I am or to get to maybe where you want to be. So just be really kind to yourself and be really patient with yourself because it does take time and it can be, it can be so good sometimes and it can be so terrible other times. And so just being really accepting of the, the natural flow of it all is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really nice way to end. And I think that's a reminder we can all use all the time is be kinder to yourself and to others, but to yourself, especially. Yes, but Um, to yourself first, because if you're not kind to yourself, it's really hard to be kind to others. Totally. Yeah. Um, I want you to be my coach. (laughs) I might have to (laughs) send you an email later. Um, So uh, just before we end, and then we're going to tell people where they can find you, we're just going to do quick questions. I call these my first thing questions. So first thing that comes to mind, they'll be pretty easy. So dogs or cats? Dogs. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Okay. Um, Would you call or text someone? Would you rather? Depends on the situation, but usually for planning, call, anything else, text. Okay. Uh, beer or wine? Oh, that's really hard. Oh, beer. Okay. Uh, mountains or beach? Mountains. I was going to say Montana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Yes. Uh, sweet or savory? Savory. Um, tea or coffee? Coffee. An introvert or extrovert, if you had to choose? Introvert. Um, a morning or night person morning for sure. 
<laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and running or swimming? Oh, this can be hard. Oh my God, do I have to choose? <laughs> uh, both. Both. Okay, fine. I'll give you that one. Okay. And then, uh, did you have like a favorite move as a swimmer or like a favorite stroke? Well, you did synchronized swimming, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I did synchronized swimming, but oh man, <laughs> synchro lingo will mean nothing to everybody else. So I'll just go with a swimming stroke that I enjoy. Um, I do enjoy doing butterfly, but only in short bouts because <laughs> it's really hard. The hardest one, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For sure. For sure. The hardest one. Yeah. Uh, did you have a dream job when you were a kid? Uh, I wanted to be a singer for a little while. Um, and then I wanted to be a politician. So interesting. Yes, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to be in the spotlight anyway. I guess, I guess. Uh, do you have somewhere that you would go if you could travel tomorrow somewhere? Where would you go? Anywhere? Oh, yeah. 100% Europe. I've never been. And I want to go oh, really? so bad. Yes. You do like a bunch of countries within Europe? Yeah, travel everywhere. Cool. Nice backpacking trip. Um, and last one is ask everyone, what's the best thing or your favorite thing that your body allows you to do? I think my body allows me to do so much different physical activity and it's just so strong and it puts up with a lot of stress, um, both from work and play and all of the things. And I'm just really grateful that, that it's put up with not only all the shit I've put it through in my past, but it's come full circle to continue to provide for me now. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, do you want to let people know where they can find you um, and just plug all your social media and anything else? Yeah, totally. So I am on Instagram. My handle is just my first and last name, Aubrey Wall. I also have a website for my business. It's trainingforbodyacceptance.com. Uh, full disclosure, I'm doing a complete overhaul on my website over the next couple of months. So it may be down for a little while, but it's up right now. And you can learn more about the work that I do and the courses that I provide and the coaching services I provide. And Let's see where else I'm on Facebook, but I'm mostly active on Instagram at the moment. Oh, and one more thing. I'm starting a podcast too. So if people want to listen, it launches tomorrow. It's called bodies in motion. Yes. Okay. So by the time this goes up, it'll be, cause this episode won't be up for a bit. So it'll be, um, full up, fully up and running bodies in motion. Yeah. Yeah. Bodies in motion. It'll be available on Spotify and iTunes and it is a podcast kind of investigating the truths around eating disorders and disordered eating in sports. Wow. Good for you. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. I'll definitely go have a listen. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Aubrey, for being here. And um, yeah, I think you're going to inspire a lot of people, you know, whether they've had an eating disorder or not to just kind of um, try to get to a place of body acceptance and, um, so thanks for sharing your story and being so open with it. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to share my story. And, you know, I figure my experience was meant to put me in a place to help other people. So sharing helps me do that. And yeah, if anyone that's listening um, has any questions or just wants to reach out, I love connecting with new people. So reach out to me on Instagram. Um, I'd love to chat. Definitely. 
All right. Well, thank you, Aubrey. Yeah. Thanks so much, Emily. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And a massive thank you to Aubrey for joining the podcast. Remember, we're at buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story if you can contribute something. And find us on Instagram at everybody's podcast. Also, feel free to tag us on Instagram if you listen to an episode. So new episodes come out on Fridays and there are only two left in this season, remember. And last thing, know that your body is amazing and it deserves your love and acceptance. All right, on that note, thanks again for being here and I'll see you next week.